A faith that can be noticed. Not a faith that is stuck into four walls as something only intellectual or emotional, but a faith that affects the will of man, that affects the life of a man and a woman. So that's the kind of faith that we talked about last week. And that's the kind of faith that we're going to study in Hebrews chapter 11. These people, when they say they live by faith, we see it by their actions. We don't just see it because they say they believe or they say they have faith in God, but we believe it because they live their life in such a way that their actions prove that they have faith, that their actions, their obedient life is produced by the faith they have. So, last week I gave the main focus of Hebrews 11 by digging deep within the context to see the author's intent of writing chapter 11. And here's the author's intent, our main focus as we walk through this series. To encourage and to spur on the church to live bold lives of faith, looking to Jesus who is faithful and our ultimate example. And see, that's going to be our main focus as we study Hebrews chapter 11. And as we looked at a description of faith, verses 1 through 3, we saw that faith is a spiritual seeing of things that cannot be seen by the natural eye. Therefore, we live for the one who has promised the things that can only be seen through faith. And the examples we look at in Hebrews 11, they had a secure and certain hope that was promised by God to be filled because He is faithful. We can have that same faith. So don't misunderstand as we walk through this that those who lived by faith in the past, that we can't obtain that same faith. That's a huge misunderstanding of the church. When we read the Scriptures and we say, yeah, but that was them. That's the people in Scripture. That was Abraham. That was Moses. That was Noah. That's, not, that's people in the Bible. But we can have and obtain that same exact faith. Let me read a Scripture. James chapter 5, verse 17 through 18. It says, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crop. We are no different than any of those who live by faith in Hebrews. We are humans, just as Elijah and all the others who live by faith in the Bible. We have the same exact access, maybe even more, because we have Jesus who has died, risen, and is sitting on His throne. We have the blood of Jesus Christ. And I, I beg you to read all of Hebrews, because you get an HD picture of what's being told here in Hebrews chapter 11. He goes all over the place about how Jesus is better. He's better than anything you can imagine. He's a better high priest. He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. There's no one greater than Jesus. Jesus is our high priest. He's our mediator. 
So there's a danger in reading the Scriptures and to say that because the people in Hebrews 11 is noticed within the Scriptures that they must be different than us or have some special bond with God or a faith and relationship with God beyond what we can know or even experience. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. If you want, you can turn there. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is, His body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, who is Jesus, let us draw near to God, with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for He who promised is faithful. Amen? And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You see, I believe that we can draw near. We can draw near to God with confidence. Not because of what we've done, but because of Jesus. And we can draw near with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings because... We have a mediator and a great high priest, and his name is Jesus. So if we don't see that we can have the same type of faith and relationship that those who have gone before us, then we miss the whole point of reading Hebrews chapter 11. All we're going to do is just marvel at their faith, but never obtain such faith. A life of faith It's ordinary for the people of God. So let us live boldly by faith as we are encouraged by those who have have lived by faith and proven that our God is faithful. So let's dive into uh, chapter 11, verses 4 through 6. If you have your Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 4 through 6. If you don't, Got a couple Bibles back there. You can use your electronic sword if you want to. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 4 through 6. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he's dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death, he could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So, verse 4, we see two men who are brothers. And both of them bring an offering to God as an act of worship. But only Abel's worship was pleasing and acceptable to God. 
So let's, uh, let's read in Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, let's say, starting in verse 2. We'll go to 10. So we can get the, the Old Testament story and get some of the details there. Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 2. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel, his brother being Cain. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain, his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out into the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel, and he killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? Probably not a good way to talk to God. The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opens its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. So here we get some, some details. But still, by reading the Old Testament, if you just read that without the Hebrews passage, we would kind of struggle and wonder why God accepted Abel's offering instead of Cain's. You just would wonder, like, was Abel's offering, his, his animals, better than Cain's crops? Or maybe uh, Abel brought the best of his flock, and Cain brought the leftovers and kept the best for himself. And many scholars would say that. That you see a description of what's being brought of the crops, and then you see the description of what's being brought, brought as a flock. He brought the first fruits, he brought the fatty portions, the best of the best. But even if that is true, which it may be, I believe we see more clearly in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, what really matters when it comes to worshiping God and bringing an offering to Him. It is by faith that Abel brought a better offering than Cain. That's what it says in Hebrews. We see both men, they have a job working in a specific field, Abel with the flock and Cain on the land for his crops. Now both of these men, they knew how to work. And they probably understood from their parents what it meant to give to God of what they've worked for. See, we can work all day, every day. But ultimately, if all we do is receive the gifts that God has given us through our work, but not worship the giver by giving our first fruits, our best, to God, 
then we will begin to worship the gift and not the giver. We will begin to worship the created and not the Creator. You see, we don't work just to pay the bills and provide our needs or even enjoy the luxuries of the American lifestyle. But to see that God's creation and His gifts are to be used for the good of people and to the glory of God. Warren Wiersbe, a a very respected pastor, I believe he says it best. Workers need to be worshipers or they may become idolaters. So if it's by faith that Abel's offering was accepted, then it must not be the offering, but the heart of the one who is bringing the offering to worship God. God desires our heart, not all the gifts. One thing we have to understand, and it takes some humility, God does not need anything from us. He's God. He's perfect. All-knowing, holy, perfect just as He is. We have to become humble and understand that God doesn't need us. We need Him. And when we get to understand that, we can see that the amount of gifts, the types of gifts, all the stuff we bring, it's not about that. It's about the heart you bring it with. If you truly want to worship God, you come with a heart that's ready to be surrendered to Him. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. Micah 6, 6 6-8, it says, "With, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousand rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the 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 fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? He says to act justly and to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. You can gather with the church, sing songs, give to the poor, give a huge tithe every single month, proclaim the gospel, and give a lot of your time to godly things. But that does not mean that God is pleased with you and your offering and that you're near to God. See, Matthew chapter 15, 7-9, it says, Jesus says, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You can worship, say a lot of things, sing a lot in Jesus' name. But my question is, is your heart near or far from God? 
Do you worship and bring an offering in faith with a surrendered heart to God, ready to humbly walk with Him and seek Him? Psalm 51 says that God will not despise this offering, a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. That's an offering He will not despise. See, God seeks the offering of one who has faith and whose heart is genuine in worship. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God can see past all the lights and all the fakeness? He can see right past that and He knows exactly where your heart is. Sometimes we forget that God knows everything about us. He knows the thoughts that we have, the thoughts before we have the thoughts, the, the, the words before we say them. He knows everything. And we can't hide from God. God sees everything. Even the deep things of our heart. Even the things we may not even know about ourselves. Because we deceive ourselves a lot of the time. But God knows our heart. And my question is, are you willing to surrender your heart to Him? Because if you're not, then He doesn't accept that kind of worship. Because all it is is just giving of things but not of yourself. He desires you and not the things. So let's look at Enoch. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 11. Let's look at verses 5 and 6. By faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as the one, the one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So Enoch was taken from this world without even experiencing death. That's pretty amazing. Never seen it. I've never seen it happen. Never had a testimony of it. Ha- uh, heard it from a testimony of anybody. But I know it happened because it's in His Word. It's a miracle that He left this world to be in the presence of God without ever even experiencing death. But why? Why did God take Enoch from this world straight into His presence like that? It's because he pleased God by faith. And through Enoch, we can see that the life of faith, it consists of a few things. First, it involves a life of constantly coming to God and seeking Him earnestly, diligently, fervently seeking God. Enoch walked with God which means his lifestyle was characterized by his devotion to God. Enoch had communion and intimacy with God. That's not an impossible thing. It's very possible. We just read about how we can draw near because of the blood of Christ and that He has opened up 
the veil for us by His body. We have direct access because of Jesus. It's not impossible to be in an intimate, devoted relationship to God. That's not far-fetched. That's not just biblical stuff. That's things that you can experience. And if you're not experiencing it, I pray that the Spirit of God would move your heart, would convict, and would change you. Because you can have that. You can have that relationship. See multiple times the author of Hebrews, if you read chapter uh, Hebrews, all, the whole book, multiple times he encourages us to draw near to God with confidence. See, we're designed to live lives of complete openness to God. He sees everything. We should be in complete, open communication with God. And that's a rare thing to find in a person, someone who's that open with their life. But the thing is, God sees everything. He knows everything. And He's a God who died for your sins. Jesus came here on earth, lived in flesh, and died for you. We should... Be open to God. Open communication. Constant communion with Him. So what does it mean to live a lifestyle of devotion like Enoch? Paul Tripp, a very respected pastor, he says in one of his devotionals, he says, your, devotion, your devotional life shouldn't be slotted into daily schedule. After your morning workout, and before you start your work for the day, know your devotional life is meant to shape the way you think about your body, your job, your family, your social circle, your calendar, and even your budget. No one would want to admit this, but we try to cram Jesus into a heart already filled with selfish idols and personal hobbies. Even after 40 years of ministry, it's tempting for me to reduce my individual faith down to a daily routine instead of a heart captured by grace. So what's the solution? It's not to restructure your schedule and free up 20 more minutes for Bible study, although that might be helpful. Rather, every morning... Make a heart, heartfelt confession that much of your devotion is still for the things of this world and not for God. God will give abundant grace to those who confess their desperate need for it. Lay down your pride. Admit to the real devotion of your heart. And watch the Spirit transform your soul. One thing He will not despise is a broken heart and a contrite spirit. It's completely being open to God. Saying, you know what God? I still have some idols in my life. We think idolatry is not in the church, but it is. We think that we're not filled with those kind of things because we're not supposed to be and we're not. But it's happening. Even in my own life, I find myself struggling because other things have, are consuming me 
this world, this life. But we need to be honest with God, open with God. Come to Him with a, a broken heart, contrite heart and spirit and say, God, i still got some stuff going on. I'm still struggling with this and that and all these things trying to fill up my spaces and my devotion to you. And when he hears that, you will experience his grace and you will experience him transforming you through his word and through his spirit. So, here's the other thing. The life of faith also involves a firm belief that God exists. We see that in verse 6. It says this firm foundational belief, it changes the way we pray, the way we come to the Father for help, and many other foundational things. We have to believe He exists, that He's real, that He's tangible. Because if not, how do we pray to something that we don't even believe exists? How do we call on the Father for help or for guidance if, he, if we don't even know if He's there? And that's by faith. A life of faith involves confidence that God is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek Him. We see that in verse 6 too. Just as God rewards Enoch by taking him from earth into his presence without experiencing death, we who live by faith will also experience the reward of being with God eternally in his presence without sin. There is no greater reward than God himself. As the psalmist says, God is my portion forever. And I want to end each time in this series with this scripture. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Why do I end on that? And why do I want to end every single time in this series on chapter, uh, chapter 12, verses 1 through 3? It's because I believe that is the reason he even goes through all these people. There's no one greater than Jesus. Jesus is author and he's perfecter of our faith. There's no greater example. He's, he's the ultimate example of faith. And He's the only one who could come, live a perfect life, die the death that we all deserve, and raise from the dead by His own power. 
He's the ultimate. He's the one we seek. He's the one we set our eyes on. He's the one we don't look away from. Even after we read, all these people were encouraged by their faith, but ultimately it points back to Jesus. So as we've been encouraged through these two, Enoch and Abel, next week we'll be encouraged by Noah, and the next Abraham, and the next Moses, and the next Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and lastly, Jesus. So as we walk through this together, study on your own time, really seek in the Scriptures, test what I'm saying, see what the Scriptures say about these people, and ultimately about Jesus and what He's done. Let's pray.